Welcome, welcome. I have a question. Do we know how many people are in the room yet? I'd love to give people just a few minutes to join us. Here they come. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aisla, um, give us the thumbs up whenever you think we've got folks already in the room. Welcome to Andrea and Jason and Betty, Bonita, Eliza, Harmony. Oh, this is awesome. We have a really, really great group coming in. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Are we ready? Welcome to Feminine Principle Leadership, a conversation about the importance of the feminine side for leadership. And we have an expert with us, and I think it's going to be a really, really exciting and fun um, conversation today. We are planning to have about an hour of conversation. It's really a fireside chat format where the four of us will be speaking with Chet, who's here to sort of lead the way. And um, then after that, we'll have a 30-minute Q&A um, timeframe for anyone in the audience to chime in and ask their own questions. So first of all, we're here to celebrate Her Many Voices' 12th anniversary. This organization is uh, an incredible organization doing work in, in Haiti and yeah, all over the US and they have partnerships in the Czech Republic and with the EU. And I'd like to introduce the founder, my dear friend, Alicia Fall. I've known her since before she founded this organization and she is amazing. Alicia is the founder and vision holder of Her Many Voices. She's been an educator performing artist and public speaker for over 30 years. She's a TEDx talk presenter, a recipient of the New York State Assembly Citation Award, and she sits on the boards of the Coalition Against Global Genocide, Winyan Maka, Boulder Valley Indigenous Peoples Day, and Tai Yosh Pei. Alicia, take it away. Thank you, Meryl. I am so excited about today. It's, it's good to see your faces and it's good to see all of these names who are popping up. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you everybody who is joining us today. Um, this is very exciting. I, in 12 years, it's, it's kind of mind blowing because it feels like I just started this yesterday. You know, I, um, For those of you who don't know me, I was in the music industry and I spent most of my adult career doing that. And I found myself doing a whole lot of benefit concerts. So I thought, why not marry the artistic side with the humanitarian side? And Her Many Voices was birthed from that in um, 2009. Um, and I am, I've been blessed to be able to continually work with artists from all over the place. And, um, and it was through music that I actually met Chet. Um, yes, yes, um, that was many years ago. And so uh, we've had this joyful relationship ever since. We, he's, he's like my brother. I am so grateful that he is here going to share his wisdom today on these feminine principles of leadership. Um, and some people have asked me, why are you having a man speak on feminine principles? You're gonna find out in a moment why we're doing that. You know, feminine principle is not about an exclusion of men. It's about an inclusion of men who are 
aware enough to recognize moving forward, we have to have that balance, that female balance. We all have the male and female energy within us, you know, so it's time that we move forward, keeping that in mind. Um, also, for those of you who don't know, Her Many Voices is about taking care of women, children, and Mother Earth. Uh, we provide um, education for different folks, predominantly in the indigenous community, also in, um, in underserved communities, I should say. And, um, and we also pay attention to the issues, the climate change issues, the climate strong issues of, uh, of Mother Earth and keeping her in balance and ourselves walking in balance when we are um, in our everyday lives. So I think that covers a little bit of me and a little bit of her many voices. I really am very excited about uh, listening to what Chet has to say and also hearing from everyone today in the question answers at the end of it. Um, Myrna, thank you for stepping in and, uh, and, and emceeing for us today. This is, this is a real treat for me. Um, thank you so very much. Absolutely. And just um, by way of introduction, I'm Myrna James, and I'm the owner of Blue Line Publishing, a magazine and book publishing company. Um, and also, I'd like to introduce Aisela Lewis. She is also with Her Many Voices. Um, she's the organizational strategist for Dreamers and Underdogs. I love that. And director of motivation. She's really the brains behind this event and many others pulling it all together for us. So thank you so much. And our keynote speaker is Chet Sisk. Chet, hello. He is a futurist, an international speaker, an author, and founder of Universal Basic Resources. UBR is an organization dedicated to helping communities, companies, and people to thrive and succeed in this dramatic shift and technological transformation. Chet has counseled organizations in almost 30 countries around the world, as well as the United Nations, about the effects of climate crisis, social disruption, institutional racism, and what we can do about it. Um, he is also the founder of the UBR Venture Fund, an organization that provides seed capital and consultation to emerging businesses led by Black and Indigenous people of color to battle climate change. Chet, it is such a pleasure to have you here. It is my pleasure to be here, and I hope the sound is good. I, I made a bit of a change in my microphone. It, does everybody, does it sound good to you all? Okay, very good. All perfect, right. perfect. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure to be here. And uh, yes, Alicia has told a little bit about our relationship, but I just want to make sure that everybody knows that I was absolutely, uh, what was I was taken by her live performance on a few occasions and then she came out with a CD and I was I remember driving down the street one day just listening to her her music and I kept thinking to myself gosh you know this is the stuff that should be told uh, the messages that she had and so what I did was that I merged my spoken word with her music and wanted to really make a go at, at pushing that. Uh, it, it didn't go very far only because my marketing uh, at that particular time was not very strong, but I love the project, just me merging her voice, her singing voice with my speaking voice 
and providing these uplifting and empowering messages. And uh, I, I still want to do some more, uh, sis. So whenever we get a chance, we, we've got to do something about that because hey, those messages you. are crucially important. At thank you. I'm all for it. Now you're making us all want to hear that. So yeah, maybe someone just do some magic in the background and play it at the end. Oh <laughs> man, I, I got to find that. We'll have to find out. that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for something in the future. Yes, yes, but you have to. I mean, she has this wonderful CD out, and like I said, just one in particular. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop, or I'm going to tear up. But I, I know we have other business to accomplish today. But I just want to say thank you, sis, for just being there and being consistent over all these years. And I, I consider this particular time a celebration of our friendship. So thank you, honey. So um, I guess we can get right into it. Is this is, would that be appropriate, Myrna, that we can go right into it right now? Yeah, joint. Just yeah, introduce us to this concept and. Um, hmm. And then certainly keep going. And I know that we'll all have a few questions and comments. And at the end, we'll have questions from the audience as well. So what, sure. tell us what it is. What's the feminine principle leadership? Give us some teasers. Yeah. Um, so the whole concept of, of feminine, I, I have a working definition, actually. And I wanted to make sure that I read that, that I, I'm using in my next book. I talked a great deal about feminine principle leadership in the last book I wrote called um, you and the new normal. And what I talked about in that book was that feminine principle leadership was infinitely better than the command and control model that brought us to the madness that we're all experiencing right now. Um, but let me give you my working definition before I come back to that. Um, feminine principle leadership is the ability to maximize resources by leveraging connectedness, empathy, and shared responsibility. So what we're talking about is a different kind of leadership as compared to how it's been presented over the years. Over the years, what we've experienced is this idea that somehow um, the best form of leadership is command and control. Uh, these guys have, um, there were these guys who came back from World War II. They uh, decided that they wanted to control uh, the means of production. So they had one guy at the top and then everybody else at the bottom. And then they leaned into that and they said that that was probably the best form of leadership. Obviously, if that was a really cool form of leadership or the best form of leadership, we wouldn't have climate crisis, uh, systemic misogyny, systemic racism, income inequality, uh, wars and rumors of wars. All those things are linked to say that somehow the leadership model that we've used up to this date doesn't work very well. And for some reason, we're, we've been afraid to call it out because we feel repercussions of those who like that kind of masculine toxicity to rule the day. We don't wanna be in their bad graces, right? So we don't call it out. And then we make it a feminine male thing. I mean. It's the whole old model is all based around division, but feminine, feminine principle leadership is about how do we leverage all the resources that exist from everybody into something that is best for all. 
Now, I always used to say, and I still do, that the best way that to think about feminine principle leadership is to think about the stuff that your mom used to say, right? So your mom would say the same thing over and over again. A, is everybody all right? B, um, is everybody fed? C, is, uh, are, you know, make sure that you share your things. So those are the things that were consistent uh, inside of, um, those are the things that were, sorry, that was, those are the things that were consistent inside of what our mothers would say. So now we have to think about it in the context of, is that a better way in order to lead? And I would submit to you that, yes, it is. As a matter of fact, what it is, what makes it better is the fact that it is more efficient and it's more effective. So those are the, time, the kinds of things that I've been talking about more um, over the past five years and why those things are uh, important simply because of the fact that at a time of change, which is where we're at right now, rapid change, we need a leadership model that is more robust, more agile, more flexible, and more uh, active and efficient when it takes in all of the resources, as opposed to if it just uh, is the old model that says some get, most don't. That particular model is just not effective. Yet I'm realizing, um, I'm realizing as you're speaking, how foundational this concept is. Yeah. It's absolutely foundational for creating positive change. Yes. And it, uh, it, it incorporates all these different things. Uh, really, that's that's really a, a light bulb. Yes. It, it, well, you know, I there was a report from the Max Planck Institute. And sorry about the noise that we've had. Uh, the Max Planck Institute, they did this study and they found out they're a bunch of anthropologists. They sat around and they said, listen, let's go back and see if there's something to feminine principle leadership, if we can find some form of it. And they did find something that existed about 50, 60,000 years ago on the plains of Africa during what they used to call the genetic bottleneck, right? There was a crisis where whether or not we would exist going forward because of all of these, there were some other events that brought the human population down to about 50,000. And if you read the report, what you would discover, and, the, and of course, this is some conjecture, they had to put together an idea. They said, listen, how did those people survive? And what they did was that they were able to label, uh, drill down to what they were seeing in the evidence that was left behind, that somehow we had to switch over to a feminine principled form of leadership. That is a cooperative model. The one that says, all of us matter, all of us have responsibility, all of us need to be a part of it. That was the only way that humans were able to survive during the genetic bottleneck that occurred 60,000 years ago. So I would say that we're in the same kind of bottleneck right now, that we are in crisis on so many different fronts, that the only way we're going to be able to transfer to the next form, to the next level of humanity, is if we go back and embrace that which got us through the first crisis, and that would be feminine principle leadership. Anytime you leave folk out, you're immediately creating a crisis because you're saying some get, most don't. And that just, that makes no sense. But it's been run for so long that some of us have embraced it as a truth. We think of it as a truth and a reality, and it's not. It's just a way that we've embraced 
that change in some space. I, I, I keep saying this and I, I wanna make sure that I drill down on this. It seems to me, and this is my conjecture based around everything that I see today, there was a feminine aesthetic in the world at one time. Everything, everybody talked about uh, uh, Mother Earth, uh, the whole aspect of, of, of the goddess. Uh, you look at all of the ancient faiths, they all go back to a woman. Something happened, I'm not quite sure what. Then all of a sudden women became uh, enemy and everything became masculine. And it was all about men. And I mean, even the basics, uh, those of you who are Christians, you probably know this story, the Adam and Eve story that says that the woman came from Adam's rib, but obviously that can't be true because, well, I shouldn't say that, sorry. Let me just say this, <laughs> women are first because women can produce uh, these souls that things that come out of the body. And it's, it's evident in all the anthropological uh, evidence that there is something to be said that women had to be first. But in order for us to, um, in order for us to change that conversation, we had to demonize women and make men first. So that is the leadership model that still is pervasive today. But what we're finding out is that it's not effective. It may be, have been around for a while, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best model or it's effective. And so. that's, you know, that's probably a, conver a whole different conversation, right? About how this happened, how the patriarchy came to rule. That's like a really deep, amazing conversation. Um, for now, I'd also love for you to help um, to illustrate for everyone the, the, the difference between, we're not talking about men and women, <clears throat> We're talking about feminine and masculine principles mm. and that every human being has both masculine and feminine qualities and traits, right? Could you yes. help us define what we're talking about even further by talking about, you know, that it's not actually men and women and we're not demonizing men here. No. You know, that kind of thing. So share more about that, please. Yeah. Yeah, we can't, we can't demonize men or, or demonize women because that would be... Uh, again, part of a process that is ineffective. And I think it's important for us to talk about what's effective. Um, bringing people in, is that effective or keeping them out? And I would submit that bringing them in is much more effective because you have more resources, uh, you have more ideas, you have more solutions when you bring them in. And feminine principle leadership, again, it's that model that, that mimics what our mother used to talk about, right? Make sure that you share your stuff. Make sure that you, unless you have mommy dearest or something like that, but share your stuff, be kind to others, do the right thing. And what was the other? Oh, make sure you had on clean underwear. I could never figure out what that was about. It was like my mother used to say that all the time. I said, oh, all my underwear are clean. Just make sure. But it was always something that, the, all the stuff that your mother would talk about, those are the things that are the essence really of feminine principle leadership. And yes, we accept those kinds of things inside of the family, but the reality is that you can apply them in a large, you can scale that kind of application and make sure that other people, everybody inside of the family, which is the human family, 
are able to enjoy the benefits of, of what the family enjoys. Uh, so the, the essence of the feminine principle leadership or really just feminine energy is about sharing, bringing people in instead of calling them out. Uh, also, it's about making sure that we look out for each other. So I, uh, uh, Alicia, uh, has, Alicia has probably heard me say this over and over again on many different occasions, and that is, I feel very strongly about the principle of Ubuntu, which is a Southern African concept, which means that we are all connected. We are connected to everything. And so the feminine principle leadership and Ubuntu are one and the same in the sense that connectedness is a better form of existence than separation. So what we are seeing in the difference between uh, feminine thought and masculine thought, at least how it's been presented today, is that feminine is inclusion, masculine is in separation. Now, maybe that has a, uh, there's, a, there's a value with that level of separation that, that the masculine energy brings in. It's a form of protection. It's a form of, hey, we don't know about this guy, so let's you know, keep him at arm's length until we find, in, uh, find out more about him. That's where that separation part becomes powerful and effective because it is protective. So if you marry that though, with the inclusion part, what you have is that now you have a balance of thought, right? You have initially the guy comes in and says, oh, we don't know about this guy. Uh, it, it could be a danger to us. Fair enough, truth. And that's very protective. And in a sense, that's really what men, that's a, that's a, uh, a long suit with men. It's a strength uh, to protect and think about that. And then, but it has to be balanced with the inclusion part. And that is when the women would come in and say, um, yes, it's true, but maybe there's a way that we can bring him in. Let's find out about him and then see how we can bring him in. That balance is probably what is missing today because when we're at a place where we're saying everybody is enemy, everybody presents a, a threat, let's keep everybody out, it immediately just screams in balance, just screams it. So feminine principle leadership brings us in, brings everybody in. And everyone in, uh, in a certain group, right? You're, we're kind of drilling down into a, the concept of segregation and, and lumping all these people together. Every, you know, it's not everyone maybe, but it's everyone in this group or that group. And that's also part of the problem, you know, is that we can't think that way. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it happens among us. We're all prejudiced. We all have these prejudgments that we make when we're looking at somebody that we don't know, right? So we're making these, these kinds of decisions because we have to, it's, it's part of our survival technique. It's part of the human condition for sure. The problem is when you institute that as a societal structure, that level of prejudice, and then it becomes racism, then it becomes misogyny, then it becomes othering of, of those kinds of things. And there's nobody to check it. There's nobody, there's no principle that comes in and says, now you can't continue to do that because you're cutting off your nose to, to, your, to spite your face and you all of a sudden you lose so much more. You would never do that inside of your family. I, well, most people wouldn't. They would say, if you have a family, you don't say, well, uh, my two sons over here, I'm just gonna keep them at arm's length and I'm gonna bring in my other sons and my daughters over here. And all of a sudden this child grows up 
or these two that have been cut off grow up in this dysfunction that they don't belong. And then they will find a way to uh, destroy the family also because of the fact that the structure doesn't lend to the love that they deserve. I think there's an old African phrase that it says that a child who does not feel the does not feel the warmth from his family will burn down the village to get that warmth. So I'm paraphrasing, but that's 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 what happens when we keep people at bay and say others are over there and we're over here. We also are sort of boiling it down to this concept of we're all human and yeah. we all have masculine and feminine and we all have value, equal value, every life, right? Yeah. And, and it's really about that, recognizing that value in every person and recognizing that they have both. Yes. And, feminine. and then we also need to take responsibility ourselves to um to be aware of our own energies right yes you yeah. know i want to jump in here too you know yeah. i keep reflecting back i know a number of you have heard me talk about this when i was growing up my mother reminded me on a regular basis you know whatever you do to another you do to yourself whatever you do for another you do for yourself yeah you know, there was always this balance of be mindful of other people because it's you you know um, and there, it wasn't about the gender issue at all. You know, yes. It's it an all-inclusive. Did you have something you were going to include? Yeah. We have an audience member that um, Alicia said uh, we should allow to contribute. Does that work here? <laughs> Great. Diane, did you want to say something? Hi there. How are you? Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to uh, just contribute a little bit to what um, the gentleman was just saying. And the quick thing is um, when the concept of when people were, were starting to become no longer equal, as women are you know, gatherers and men are hunters, is after a while, once the men decided that they were going to claim a woman for uh, marriage. That's when the have and have not started because it's like, well, this is my wife and these are now my children rather than this is our village and these are all the women of our village and our children of our village where everyone took care of one another uh, versus um, have like, you know, I have this, you know, lean to, and you're not allowed in this lean to. So that separation started once that concept of like marriage came in. And then secondly, when uh, in the religions, my understanding is the uh, men uh, eventually became very threatened by women, especially in religion because the only thing really women needed men for was to procreate. Um, it was the one thing that at the time they couldn't do by themselves. And men eventually knew that. So women basically had a majority of the power, if you will. And they thought of women as like these magical beings, if you will, because they created human beings. 
Um, and eventually men got threatened by this and realized that they didn't want women to overtake men. So men suppressed women, um, including in religions where um, women used to be priests and men were priests and they were equals. It was no such thing as like a nun. And eventually with the paganism and all of this going on, any woman who was a nun was in theory was considered a witch. So which is why they like burned a lot of the religious women um, because they thought of them as witches. And, uh, and when you look at it now, you know, the priests are in theory looked higher upon than women nuns. Um, where you see, you know, nuns really truly, you know, living with nothing. Um, but the priests are still having like a fabulous life in their own way. Um, so, so once those ideological ideological concepts started to develop and form, it was out of fear. I was just going to say, Diane, all of this comes down to the basics of, you know, whether you're operating from fear or love, and this is a lot of fear. And this is the evolution. Humanity's evolution has been based a great deal around fear. And yeah. this is what has caused these imbalances in our world. Yeah. And we are certainly experiencing the effects of all of this fear and all of this imbalance today. Yes. Thank you, Thank you for sharing that. And may I say that the reason why I've become an advocate for feminine principle leadership is because of the principles. The principles are, are human and they're courageous. And, and you don't have to be a man or a woman. You have to be open to a principle that says all of us have value and meaning. And that's, that's different than what we've, what we've kind of become comfortable with over the years where, again, it's about the othering. And as we've been saying throughout this program, it's not a matter of if you're a man or woman because we both contain both of those elements and what we're seeking to do is to bring back that balance. The part in us that says bringing people in is better than keeping them out. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk, share with us uh, the role of the sacred um, mm. and how that plays into this conversation, Chet. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I said this, I've read this book a few years ago called In the Absence of the Sacred. And it's, it's one of those books I really highly recommend that everybody get a chance to read. Um, I think the author is uh, Jerry Mander. That's his real name, Jerry Mander. <laughs> but the book is based around the idea that what happens to a community when the sacred is taken out, where nothing is sacred, where it's, everything is transactional. And you saw, they actually did an experiment with um, uh, a particular eth ethnic group in near the North Pole or in the Arctic regions. And I can't think of the name of the, of the ethnic group at the time, but I do remember that. And I, I, first of all, I thought that that was crazy that they actually did that to a group of people. But at the same time, the, the data that came from it was astounding that once we lose the sacred, that and life becomes transactional, it, it, it's like the worst possible elements of humanity take hold. Greed, graft, avarice, 
uh, lying, deceit, because there, there are no guardrails. There's nothing to say, this is not a good idea. There's only what's in it for me. And in some ways, we've kind of witnessed that in real time in our own country. So the sacred now becomes the most important part for any society to be able to survive and thrive going forward. There has to be, and even if they're not shared sacred elements, I mean, everybody has a different version of what the sacred could be, but there has, there has to be some guideposts that allow us to be able to sit back and think about it. Like, wh what are my guides? What's the right thing? Um, if, if it's, uh, what's the phrase that the, uh, the kids use today? Uh, you only live once? Well, that's again, a product of the absence of the sacred because then anything and everything is um, at risk because there's nothing to say, this is a sacred element. This is a sacred place. This is a sacred statement. This is a sacred space that we're in. And that has to be honored. Without that honoring it, we're all in danger. Not just those who don't value the sacred, but those of us who do value the sacred, but live in a world where people who don't. So the sacred is the most important part of, of who we are as human beings. But maybe I missed it, but what happened in that village in the north near the North Pole? Was that an Inuit village? Is that the it wasn't the, it wasn't an Inuit village? Uh, uh, group, uh, ethnic group. It was another group that is in relationship to the Inuit, for sure. And I, I just can't think of the name specifically, but that basically the, the community uh, fell apart. They all kind of scattered. Uh, they went to different parts and they just left. Some went back to another neighboring ethnic group so that they could go back and retain that which was sacred. Um, others just kind of became you know, I mean, they just became these lone wolves, as it were. Uh, but it was a sad story. But it, it's funny, one of the things that happened that really expedited the, the falling apart of that community was they introduced television to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, television. Um, it, it really, honestly, what they introduced more so, because television is just a conduit, they introduced Western values. And I will say this out loud, I know some people will not, but I will question Western values to the core because a lot of it is based in transactional relationships and not necessarily in the sacred, not necessarily in community and not necessarily in connectivity. So I think that we're at a place where we have to put some things on the table, right? And to me, feminine principle leadership must be on the table at this particular time. That having a television come in introduces a concept of technology and how technology, and of course you were talking about transactionalism, also commercialization, right? All of those, um, those concepts, I agree with you. Um, I think we have to be, this might be a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> so pull me back in if it is. Yeah. The introduction of technology is so important and it can go too far very, very easily, right? It can completely go out of control. Yeah. And there's an element there too that we need to keep an eye on to make sure technology does not bring more dysfunction than benefits. Yeah. To society or groups of people. 
let, let, let me throw this out at you. Technology is a toaster. Um, you know, Aisila I, I heard me have this conversation at one time. Technology is a toaster. It is not, it is not good or bad. It is a thing. You can use that toaster to make toast for your sweetie for breakfast in the morning and show her how much you love her. Or you can take that toaster and toss it into her bathtub and electrocute her to death. Either way, the toaster didn't make the decision. Right. We did. So in a sense, to me, what becomes really important is that feminine principle leadership would, would look at the technology from a different lens. And that's the lens that we need as a, as a, as a, this, to say, how does this benefit the family? When it comes from that place, as opposed to how do we weaponize it so that we can make more money? So it's not the technology, it's the lens that we look through. Right, and, and now we're talking about defining a more balanced lens with feminine and masculine. Yes, that's key. Is, balance is key here because the masculine brings a great deal of benefit to the human condition. Like I said before, protection, mm -hmm. uh, if you work it right, the work ethic, um, all, all kinds of things that the masculine brings to the table. And I would submit that we don't exist as a fully actualized human beings without the balance of the masculine and the feminine. So all we're really talking about is how do we restore balance? And to me, going and leveraging feminine principle leadership brings in all of the elements necessary for the success of humanity, where we also not just look at how we're going to do well, but how the planet does well in the face of climate change and this sixth mass extinction that's happening. So it's about restoring the balance. Circling back to the um, sacred for a moment, will you please share with us the distinction between sacred and religion? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think I religiously get up and brush my teeth. I religiously go to the gym. I could even I could even make a religion out of going to the gym. I could. I call it the Chet Sisk School of Gym of Barbells and Dumbbells because it's a religion. I do it on, on the regular, right? I'm consistent. Sacred, uh, that's how I, I view religion. And I, I, I'm sure some of you might be burning me in effigy after this, but uh, that's, that's the road that I walk. However, sacredness is about our personal relationship to that which we believe. It is about how do we see it from our personal position, our personal perspective. Like I, I have a very deep um, practice of ancestral veneration because I believe in the science and the science says that energy is never destroyed. So if we're all bringing energy, even if we die, that energy is never destroyed. It's just recontextualized, right? So I see that means that the ancestors also exist in this energy field and we can call on them and tap on them, tap, tap on that source. So that's my sacred space. I honor that space because my personal relationship with the ancestors is one that I value so much that I don't just do it because it's like by rote memory, I just get up and do it, but I spend my personal time in that space. I, I think about what it means to me 
I think about what it means to other human beings. So to me, the sacred is about the personal more than anything. Religion to me is about something that you do because it, it may make you feel good, but it, it, you have to drill down in order to get that personal space. That's my personal, that's my opinion. One man's opinion. Great. Um, I'm wondering, I'm sitting here just thinking about the feminine and masculine and the topic at hand. And mm -hmm. I think it's fairly clear, although we can talk more about it too, um, you know, the examples of, of positive feminine with collaboration and cooperation and thinking about the whole and the group and every individual and all their needs and the positive and the masculine as well. So give us some more examples about positive masculine. You talked about this a little bit, but mm. there is that demonization factor that's probably a little bit more in the mainstream news. Yeah. Negative masculine, maybe some examples of both. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me, let me say this, that the only reason that um, really ma masculine, the masculine energy has been, um, I think it's been demonized and it's, I'm gonna drill down on the nuance here. What we're really talking about, that's this negative part that the media talks about and people talk about in general is toxic masculinity and not masculinity in and of itself because I'm a man and I love my masculinity. But I, the toxic masculinity says this thing where it is the only way that everything else is inferior to it. That is the other, the whole aspect of the feminine. That's obscene and it's unrealistic because of the fact that we have both energies in us. So it's, again, it, it, it just, it's an imbalance and toxic masculinity takes that imbalance to scale. That's why we have the kinds of crises we have in the world because it's spread and it's supported by the infrastructure out there. But masculinity in and of itself, let me just talk about the positive aspects to that. Um, certainly, and I, I'm using my own example, I, I certainly encourage any men out there to, to share your uh, positive masculine uh, uh, gifts. But mine are definitely include the whole aspect of, I think men are very good at being, I had an advertising agency at one time and uh, I had, I had nine women employee, em, employed and three men. What I liked about the men was that the men were able to visualize things in this giant conceptual place. I was impressed with that. That's not restricted to men, but I was impressed with the fact that men were able to have this bigger vision, more so than uh, some of my female uh, workers. Now, where the female workers absolutely excelled is that they knew how to get stuff done. And for some reason, men were not as good at, at that. Now this may be some stereotyping and it, it's definitely only my experience, but the strength of women is that they know how to implement stuff. They know how to get it done. That's been my, that was my observation. Then it's my observation now. Men, their strength is that they can conceptualize in ways that I, I, found, I found admirable. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, I think that men's, the way that our bodies are constructed, we really are the protectors. We're supposed to do those, that, that's part of our task, is to make sure that the, the family is protected, is to do the things 
that perhaps physically women may, may not be able to do, but it's in conjunction and in partnership with the women. Why not leverage all of those things? These are gifts that we've been given. Um, I think tox uh, the, the more healthy masculinity certainly uh, can drill down to just thinking through problems. Um, it helps to be able to bring that element of, okay, we don't know, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe we need to keep that out. That is absolutely a life or death kind of attribute or gift that men can bring to the table so that you are able to check uh, the environment around you so that everybody is safe. If we leverage it right, it works well, again, as I mentioned earlier, with the whole aspect of we'll bring them in, but we need you to keep them out initially so that we can work through some stuff. So there are some, there's some great things that men bring to the table. It's just that it is not the only thing that can, that's on the table. It's just, it has to be balanced. Otherwise you have bad decision-making all the way around. And that's what we're experiencing. I mean, I, again, I keep saying this, we're experiencing in real time what, what happens when toxic masculinity takes over. It's crazy. So there's the, you've been talking about the protection aspect. The men have an instinct and a desire to protect the family, mm -hmm. the people. They also have, I think, this provider instinct. Yes. You know, for their family and for the community at large. Um, I, I think that's true. Uh, I don't know if you have been tracking the um, with the online school, statistically, according to two or three articles in the New York Times, the women have been, the moms have been the ones who have been sort of guiding the online school at the expense of their work. Whereas the men, fathers typically are, they, they're still so focused on work. Um, and of course, again, it, it's a balance that's needed, but I can speak as a mother for me that it's really true that my instinct is so powerful to help my son yep. make sure he's okay. And I have been doing it for a year now at the expense of work. Um, it's yeah. something that is just innate and it's a, a feminine need, I think, to be the yep. one to make sure those kids are okay. Yep. And it's another example of, of feminine energy versus masculine energy. Yep. And it all bears out in all the research. That's yes, recently. over and over again. And I, I will go as far as to say the propagation of the species is entirely dependent upon the feminine energy because it, based around where we're going right now with the leading of the command and control uh, that toxic masculinity leadership model, we will destroy ourselves in, in maybe a lifetime or two because we're not thinking about it from the perspective of are all the babies okay? Is everybody fed? Everybody all right? As what mothers would do. So, so in a sense, what, what can make masculinity work out more effectively is to have the lead conversation be that by uh, the feminine energy that says, is everybody okay? Then the masculine can come in and say, okay, my job is to make sure that everybody's okay. That particular leaning that you have naturally that comes to you is the one that will help us survive as a species. Without that, if it is restricted, that leadership model is restricted, I can assure you we'll be gone in a, in a generation or two. If not, we'll be living in 
as Jamiroquai would say, we'll be living underground in some real strange places because of the fact that we're just, we, we need that balance of energy in order to survive. And I don't think that we're seeing it that way. I think we're seeing it as like, um, you know, like, uh, oh, men and women, and who's going to win as if one can survive without the other. That is madness. It, it will not happen that way. Yeah. It must, there must be this balance. If we go back to, I mean, all of us, we have those tribal roots. It doesn't matter who your people are. Yeah. Our ancestors knew that there was balance and we took care of each other. Everyone had each other's back. Males yeah. had females, females had males. There was, we knew that we all had to come together. We worked collectively mm -hmm. and there wasn't that separation of, well, this is your job, this is my job. Right. And I, I would submit to you that the, 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 the toxic masculinity that we're experiencing right now is relatively new in the history of humanity. For thousands of years, you're right, uh, Alicia, that it, that was really our truths is that we had to have this balance. And it wasn't about, I, I'm a big fan of Bell Hooks. So those of you who may have read some of her books, she's a womanist. And her thing was that, we shouldn't be pushing to be um, men. M women shouldn't be pushing to be men. We want your jobs and we want your stuff. We want all of that. She said, the real balance is how do you make both men and women work, whoever has the resources? So it's not a matter of replacing men as much as it is, how do you create the balance so that the family is taken care of, so that there's a propagation of the species? So. In, in some way, she was pushing back against modern feminism because she said that feminism was about men, women wanting to be men as opposed to women saying, how do we find the balance that works for everybody? I totally agree. And I will say that in my 20s, I'm at a generation where women at about 10 years older than I am broke the glass ceiling, right? Mm -hmm. I was to be one of the women who got to benefit from that. And I literally did go through my 20s not worried about men <laughs> you know, really kind of thinking i don't i don't really need a man as far as you know my my breadwinning and whatever um and it's and and it turns out that i wanted a man in my life right like in my 30s i was like but but it's it's really a challenge to overcome this innate desire to focus on my child mm -hmm. primarily because you know and i think we are coming back to balance it's about a household and each household needing that balance because I, you know, I, we also have to have income coming into the, the family, yeah. Just yeah. taking care of the kids. It's about balance and it's about self-awareness and that kind of thing as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we, that, that is at the center of the conversation that has to happen. It's not about uh, men being evil and women being righteous. It's more about how do we make sure that you know, we get to the spot so that we have a, a, a balanced structure that is effective. That's, but you know what? That's the story all the way around. It's uh, it, anytime you have systemic racism, it's saying that uh, we're gonna keep them out. We're gonna do this. It's, it's really all the same source. There's a, there's a belief out there that says some get, most don't, some are better than others. It shows up as misogyny. It shows up as racism, it shows up as othering, but it's really the same source. And this is a relatively new, as I speak of relatively compared to the hundreds of 
that thousands of years, that tens of thousands of years, humans have been around, where we kind of made this, again, this infrastructure that emphasized a caustic uh, idea that some get, most don't. To me, feminine principle leadership can replace all of that. And what's underneath that, I think, is this concept of other and separate yep. rather than oneness and we, right? Yes, yes. Well, that's, see, it wouldn't be so bad if it was, you know, we would all be in a, a gathering and we saw a person and they'd be othering and they'd be misogynistic and we'd be able to add ah, that person and he's a racist. Okay. But the challenge that we face is that we have systems that now emphasize these things. That's why people say, well, look, I'm a good person. I don't do these things, but the system doesn't care. It's on automatic pilot. It was set up in, in, a, in a toxic masculine, uh, some get most don't idea. And now it's on automatic pilot. And we're trying to figure out like, well, I'm doing my best. Okay, great. But now we have to talk about it on, a, on uh, those feelings at scale. How do we create and in diff a different kind of environment so that everybody can enjoy the fruits of that. Jet, you are at such a, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, um, I, one of the things that I would love at some point to hear in the next few minutes from you is if, if we were able to embody this, to bring feminine principle leadership into a place or a country or the world, how would, how would we experience that? Like what, what would be the, either the way it feels or the benefits, you know, can you, can you share sort of what, what would yeah. happen that you can, that you can uh, give us something to, to look forward to maybe? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my sister-in-law is doing, um, uh, is writing a book and she did some fantastic work in a small village in, um, I think it was in Rwanda. And, um, Basically, the men were all recruited to go and fight a war. This is some years ago, uh, when they were at um, when when there was a lot of activity, violent activity going on in Rwanda between Rwanda and Uganda. And what the women did was that they got together, and when the men uh, left, and then they came back as soldiers. What the women did was that they, they wanted the men, obviously, to come back and help protect the village and, and do all the things that are necessary for a society to survive. And the best way they did that was to talk to them about, okay, you're, I talked to your mother and she says hello. And they reminded them of all of the things they were when they were, what their mothers did for them when they were children. And these men literally cried. And many of them gave up their their experience as soldiers so that they could come back to the village and be loved. Uh, I, I think if we were to think about a model, I think that the most important model would be to remind people of those wonderful things that they remember from their mother in particular, from their strong relationships with another, uh, with a woman. And because men are not that far away from it, but they keep getting rewarded inside of toxic masculinity. So we need to reward them in love and finding ways of bringing them back into things that they remember so that they have a touchstone because some men have just kind of forgotten all of those things. 
So women are good at being able to say here, uh, or at least in this particular village, they brought their men back simply by reminding them of who they were and bringing them back to the things that were most important to them in their, in their early formative years, that love of a mother, that connection, all of those things. So yeah, I think the village can be developed, uh, I mean, a society can be developed along those lines. In many of, uh, of our ancestors', uh, ancestors uh, knowledge and community, there were those within the community who embodied and really walked through the world holding both the male and the female yes. energies. Yes. Two spirits of, you know, that balance yep. and revered because they were able to honor and really hold that space for both. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was in a many indigenous cultures all around the world. It was always, it was, uh, not always, I'll just say commonly celebrated for the gay part, uh, population of their particular community because of the fact that exactly what you just said, Alicia, is that there is a kind of a, a sharing of both elements and it was, it was honored. It was like one of those things like, man, I wish I, wish I could have both of those. Um, and throughout the, the continent uh, here in, in the North American continent, throughout Africa, I keep reading about these, uh, these sources and these stories and they talk about that whole aspect of having both male and female. And, and it was only until the Abrahamic traditions uh, became, uh, that is Christianity, Islam and Judaism became like the, the story of the day where we started demonizing that aspect of the human condition and started seeing, um, you know, gay and lesbian LGBTQ folks as somehow being a negative. And that is, it's just stunning to me how we've lost those basic elements of what, what created community back in the day and how we've substituted this toxic masculinity to say to other them. It's just, it's, it's strange and it's sad. So we are um, almost out of time, but I wanna ask you one last thing and then, and then we'll take questions from the audience um, unless Alicia and Aisila wanna add anything else. Um, we are at such a time of disruption right now in the world. And that's an opportunity, right? Yeah. We're already so disrupted that it's it seems like now is the time for these concepts to be, you know, for, for us to figure out a way. And of course, lots of organizations are working on this as well. Yes. To really make these foundational changes um, because we do have to sort of right the ship you know, if, if we're sailing and we're talking about being run by most systems, at least in this country and many others as well, run by toxic masculinity, it's time to right the ship. So I'd love any kind of thoughts, final thoughts about that uh, before we take questions. And of course, anything else you'd like to share? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I am one of those people that believes that in a moment of crisis, uh, I, I'm, I'm like Rahm Emanuel, right? He says, never let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> so I, I think crisis, and, and of course, everybody talks about the whole aspect of the, uh, the Mandarin version of crisis, where crisis both means danger and opportunity. And that's just truth. There is 
great opportunity in this because we're now asking the most important questions about our existence that we never would get to do because we're so we're comfortable with status quo. So crisis makes us move out of status quo and ask the, the really hard questions that we're not used to asking and we're in many ways we're uncomfortable. So really people like myself and certainly Alicia, I mean, we're, we're here to create the space for us to be able to question the stuff that we know is just not working right. There's almost kind of like a default fall in where we sit back and go, well, oh, well, this is the best system there is. No, it, it's not. That, and that's an incredible statement to make, especially if you're not doing your homework. You start realizing that of all the systems that have been out there for a while, this one has led us to the point of an, we're having an existential uh, crisis of our existence simply because of the system creating that. So that means if you were at working at any place and management was really that bad, you would jettison the management. You'd go to the board of directors and say, this is nuts. We're losing on all fronts. The board of directors would say, you're out. But for some reason, we don't feel that we can do that yet because we've been entrained to believe that this is the only way forward. And it's not. We can do better. We, we have the tools. We have more access to more technology, more information, more knowledge than in any other time in human history. You can't tell me we can't do better than this. You can't. If you resign to that, that this is, uh, we're at the, the zenith of humanity, then maybe you need to do some soul searching because we are, as far as I'm concerned, are on the next leg that we needed to get to. We needed to get to this point so we can get to the next leg. That's how I feel. And that's why there are people like us who are working really hard to make sure that you know that we have options going forward. Definitely, and I love how this subject ties into, you know, and it's it's actually just a foundational piece for the changes that need to be made systemically to the foundations of social justice and civil rights and human rights, right? It's really about human rights. Human rights. And it's a global issue and I really do know, I, we all know, there are so many organizations and other people working on this. I actually am very, very hopeful and positive and optimistic about this right now um, because of this fork in the road where we are. Yes. I mean, I, I think a lot of people and we, you know, let's come together and, and work on these issues together. Do you want to share anything else, Chet, or anyone else before we take questions? I'd, I'd really like to hear from other people. You know, yeah. we have a mixed bag of people who are sitting here uh, as participants and um, wide range of experiences, life experiences, who, who we are as we walk in this world. You know, not, any, not everyone here identifies as, I am strictly female, I am strictly male, I am this, I am that. You know, there's this wide range. So I'd really love to hear uh, what others have to say in the questions and answer time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you have someone? Um, um, if, if folks want to, um, uh, yes, it looks like there is um, a couple of folks. And I also just wanted to say real quick, thanks to Chet and Myrna for giving us your time today. And um, like such a gift and Alicia for, creating her many voices. So we had a reason to do this. 
Um, and we are recording this. So for folks that if you only had an hour, please know that we will be able to, we'll be posting this so you can still hear the conversation. Um, this won't be our only presentation on this. Uh, and then uh, Keahani or Brooke, I, I will start with her. She had some really interesting comments about colonialism and I know you all know and love her. Uh, she works with us. Uh, so let me see if she's ready. My volume is a little low, so mm -hmm. if you don't mind uh, uh, turning it up, that'd be great. Oh. And Brooke, just to remind you, you're on, uh, you're on mute. I don't know if that's Isla that needs to unmute you or you need to unmute yourself. And we also have a question if Brooke isn't ready. So, or actually I could share this question because I think Brooke's uh, input would be desired as well. So I will do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So one okay. of our participants asked, wanted to understand, um, and some of this I don't think we can answer because it's a, a large question societally and I, don't, wouldn't, I wouldn't claim that we are uh, able with the five of us to represent the entirety of society. Um, but they kind of wanted to understand a little bit more about the concept of, uh, I think, feminine principle leadership and how, um, and how some of this uh, engages with um, non-binary and trans uh, concepts. They feel like you spoke a little bit to that, but, um, and voices um, in the community. And, um, and so both in your work, like your organizational work, your personal work, and in that larger sense. Yes. Well, um, I can answer it. I'll, I'll be very brief so we can get to all these wonderful people. Um, uh, to me, I, I know that we have different labels, uh, different categories that we've had to kind of work our way through because of the fact that there people wouldn't accept us in, in these different places. So instead of human, they called us Black instead of person they call you trans or all of these other names that came up so there are a lot of labels that we exist we exist in and i don't uh i don't want to deride the labels but i do want us to recognize that what feminine principle leadership that model does is takes us back to our humanity so that we're not necessarily labeled into our particular categories. And so anyone in the LGBTQ or trans community who, who identifies with the basic principles, that is everybody's important, share your stuff, be kind to others, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what feminine principle leadership really is about. It's about making sure that we understand our humanity. And what does that look like? What is a structure that honors our humanity? However way we want to label ourselves, how does that show up? So to me, that's where the application is, is that it, it moves us beyond label to um, this space, uh, the human space. Because again, all of this stuff is artificially created. Race doesn't even exist. That's an artificial creation since Bacon's Rebellion back in 1676. So a lot of the labels that we know we have identified ourselves as really are artificial. And so we want to start to lean into the human part and have a, a, a process, a leadership model that identifies the humanity. And to me, that's feminine principle leadership. And I see this in, in um, our children, those who are coming into the world now, you know, I mean, how many of us that we, do we know 
um, have teenagers, young people, even younger, who recognize, well, I was born in this world with this female body, but I identify myself as, you know, there's an understanding and acceptance and knowledge of we are evolving. And I think it's the epiphany of humanity that we recognize we are a whole. This is not about putting each and every one of us in some individual little box. We are a whole. And many of us who are coming into this world recognize that mm -hmm. and step into it in its fullness. Yes. And eventually we will not have to have these kind of conversations. Yes. I yeah. hope and I pray. Yeah. Because like you said, Chet, I mean, we will recognize this is, you know, you're not black, you're not this, you're not that, you are human. Yes, yes. And Instead I want these labels. Yeah, I want to add on to that because I, I, I said this in a conversation not too long ago. Um, the reality is that what we're, we're talking about is our humanity. But there are those who still want to identify or who want to ma maintain the structure, because that's really what we're talking about, a structure that separates. We need to be able to call that out. I know a lot of folks want to do kumbaya and hold hands, and I do too. But I also re recognize that there are people who are entrenched in maintaining the status quo. We need to be able to have, that's that masculine part of me. We need to be able to confront that mm. and, and, and not be afraid of it and recognize that we have a better way. So I, I just want to throw that out, masculine. <laughs> Rook, it's so good to see your face, sweetheart. Rook. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having and hosting this event. It's been really um, nice listening to chat and listening to everybody. Just powerful messages tonight. Um, I believe I was called up because I was making responses in the chat group uh, regarding uh, colonial feminism, which is what we call the first wave feminism in indigenous communities. And with colonial feminism, really what it was about uh, essentially, um, predominantly white women and, and also women of color were being oppressed, but the call really came from white women to kind of sit at the seat of, you know, uh, the three basically models that they wanted to get into was equality, equity, and inclusion. And at the forefront, that might seem like really, really good things to do, um, but essentially because the house was the same, it was still based on settler colonialism, it produced a lot of still inequalities. So with equality in the first wave or the colonial feminist movement was about being equal to toxic patriarchal white men that were in seats of power. And then uh, equity is about gaining resources and access to almost 100% of the time stolen lands of indigenous people. So, you know, we still have these things being affected to us today and then inclusion is being able to be co-creators in the kingdom of colonialism or to co-write the history of uh, Africa or America or, or Asian settlements or anything like that. So that's why um, first wave feminism was so problematic because it was based on those capitalist colonial ventures. Um, but that's what I was talking about in the chat. Interesting, because that, that sounds a, a, a whole lot like bell hooks and I'm a big fan of hers, that she was saying, we need to rethink feminism. Uh, that's why she embraced the title of womanists, so that we, we're not trying to align with 
a toxic structure. And again, this goes back to something I said earlier, is that I think we all have good hearts and we want to do the right thing, but the structure is on automatic pilot. Mm -hmm. So we have to start to think about new structures. When in this next phase, it's more than about changing hearts and minds. It's now about how does that manifest into structure so that we can create communities that reflect our values, not just feeling good. Because most people, even if they feel good, they go back to default because that's how they make their money. They don't wanna be on the outs. I, I get it, I, I mean, I understand it. But those of us who are bold enough, we have to really start to talk about structure. I'm really fascinated as well. Um, I'm fascinated with how this, I thank you so much for sharing that. I'm fascinated with how first wave feminism is just how it takes generations to realize where we are and what we need. They were doing the best they could then. They really believed that's what they needed in society, right? And here, and it wasn't at all what was needed. And, and it takes so long, doesn't it? Like lifetimes, uh, but we're getting so much closer. We're getting so much closer to what really would be healthy for all of humanity. Um, we have another question uh, from someone. It's a, what, and I love this one, what gives you hope and how do we spread this to others? I really want you to answer that for me too. <laughs> Thank you, Harmony. Ah, <laughs> uh, wow. You know, I have to say this. I am more hopeful now than in any other time in my life. And I've been around for a few years. So uh, I, I have to say that um, Brooke gives me hope. Mm -hmm. And when we first made contact, I was like, oh my God. And I, I, my heart was just like, um, people that I'm meeting different parts of the world, I've traveled to about 30 different countries and I hear the same conversation. How do we, how do we get out of this mess? So it, it, everything, leadership, unfortunately, I think we have a misunderstanding of leadership. We think that leadership is, is top down, that the politicians are our leaders. The politicians are not our leaders. They are our representatives. Tell them what to do. And we've lost track of that by my missing, you know, this strange amalgam. Anyway, I am hearing grassroots levels of organization that I haven't heard before. Before it was just like grassroots good feeling. Mm -hmm. And that was good. But we know, at least we know up to date that that's not enough. We now have to say, uh, that doesn't mean we have to go out and like, oh, we're going to fight the power and take it to the man. Sometimes it's just a matter of Brooke and I getting together and saying, okay, we're going to share resources between each other so that we can develop our communities. That simple. Yes. That simple. And because that's happening on a regular and consistent basis by people who really mean it, I have great hope. And I, I, again, I've been at this thing for a long time, so I can truly say we're in a different place than anything that I even anticipated. So I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, the, does anyone have any other hopeful thoughts? I, we have another question, so I want to bring that forward. But I don't want to cut anyone off. <laughs> yeah, I think let's. Um, I also want to be mindful of the of the time we have. So let's go ahead to the next one. Um, and also, Alicia, would you be willing to introduce Brooke? 
Ah, yes, this is my pleasure. So Brooke Rodriguez is, um, she's the founder, co-founder of First Foods. Um, a brilliant young woman who she, with her partner in this business, Desiree Kane, have been reminding us of our connection of indig as indigenous peoples to the foods, the stories, the history, the lineage of our ancestors and bringing it to the forefront. Um, Brooke is also a, a Taino woman, uh, which brings me great joy in my heart. Um, and she's an East Coast New York girl, which is also another treat for me. And, um, and so Brooke and uh, Desiree's organization, First Foods, um, they are actually our fiscal sponsees at the moment. And, um, you know, before no time, I know that they're going to spread wings. If you've not uh, seen any of their videos, you need to sign up because they are extremely informative and very, um, they're entertaining and they're also healthful uh, videos um, that we could all learn something from. You don't have to be an indigenous person to, to spend time with these people. Uh, so please, please pay attention to First Foods. Um, and she's a killer mom and partner and just an overall human that, I don't know, I'm proud to know. Um, Me too. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I felt like we had this strong bond. Um, she's also a Taurus, you know, so we had the bull, bull connection there too. <laughs> but um, I felt this strong connection and I feel like working with Chet and the universal basic resource in this, um, this pilot program that we're working on, I felt like First Foods was a perfect fit to come into the second round of this, uh, this particular project to address climate change and, um, and basically just healthy living for all of us, yeah. uh, reminding each other of who we are. You know? yes. um, and Brooke does a wonderful job of that. I learn something every single time that we have a conversation and we speak probably a couple of times in, in a week. So. Thank you. That's my love fest around Brooke Rodriguez. <laughs> I second that emotion. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's a great segue into um, Miria. I hope I am saying your name correctly. Um, ask, can you share some tangible examples of how to change structure and like universal basic resources, first foods, how many voices? Um, yeah. I know that you're all doing that. So yeah. can you give a couple examples? Yeah, um, actually, those examples are 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 in really representative of what's happening. What's really happening is that there there's a they, there's a model called the distributive model, and what's happening is that these kinds of groups, First Foods, Her Many Voices, uh, and and some of the groups, the teams uh, inside of Universal Basic Resources are finding ways of being able to connect and make formal uh, ties. So that's the, that's the difference between say years before is that the years before, I think we all like felt well and we went to a conference and we, you know, we had a good time and then we went about our merry ways. But now we're at a place of saying, but what happens if we do a distributive model? That is all of us have these sources and these resources and we start sharing them between them, between us formally. And so my job 
and and not just my company, but there's some others that are emerging around the country are saying, how do we help facilitate the formal relationship between these particular companies in creating cohort and helping them and providing them with resources so they can kind of develop that level of network. Uh, there's uh, UBR is one. Um, there's a, uh, I'm in touch with a group out of Iowa, the place where I was born and raised. They're doing something like that and they're doing it with black and brown and indigenous communities. They're just, what they're, what they're noting is that we do have a desire to connect. We just have to formalize it more. And, and, and all allies, of course, everybody who wants to make sure that we start to live from a human place. Uh, we, but we do need to formalize those arrangements and that is happening. I wish I could cite some more examples, but it, 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 we, you don't wanna reinvent the wheel. What you wanna do is let people be in their space that they're doing and then keep networking them with others in a formal way, as opposed to just, here's my business card, call me sometime. It has to be more now. It has to be a kind of a give and take. Anyone else or? And thank well, you, I appreciate that. That's the, um, beginning, that's the beginning of infrastructure. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. that. That is how you create infrastructure so that we can live in integrity and a, a, a quality of life that represents our values. Yeah. I think for First Foods, how we've been taking infrastructure is kind of very, um, very communal. So we don't have like a really, we don't have a leadership model, even though like some of our titles might reflect that. I don't consider myself like a boss or a CEO or any, I just consider myself a community member in a work environment that happens to be, you know, you know, giving resources and, and developing platforms and programs for indigenous people and our allies. Um, we also created like, we've used a little bit of socialist models. So everybody gets paid the same, um, no matter what their tier is, no matter their level of education. Um, I treat everybody as more important than me because they are. <laughs> Without them, nothing would function. I'm, I'm a very, <laughs> as Alicia will know, I'm a very disorganized person. I can't put together a schedule. so. Um, definitely I honor the people that come into this space and I realize how important they are. I take their ambitions seriously. So one of the things is like we open up channels between participants and frontline and also management to allow everybody's visions to come forward. And if we're able to do them, we'll sit down and we'll develop plans with them and try to incorporate it somehow or try to set them up with other sister organizations that will be able to bring that vision to the, you know, to, to actualize it. Um, so there's really no boundaries, I would say, when it comes to bringing up or proposing different ideas. It's just extremely collective, extremely social. And um, that's the way that we've been trying to kind of manage, not trying, just naturally have managed in our programming so, thus far. Thank you so much, appreciate Murder. that. I'd also love to, um, I just would love to, before we kind of wind up, have um, kind of explain why Chet as a man is answering a lot of the questions himself. And, um, you know, he's really considered the uh, expert on this subject of feminine principal leadership. That's really the main reason. Um, and also though, and, you know, explaining, um, 
Can you address that a little bit, Chet? I know we, we talked about it a tiny bit at the very beginning, but why are you as a man speaking about this subject? And then I hope we'll have time for a couple more questions. Sure. Uh, in, in, in line with what we've been talking about is that the whole aspect of the feminine is really a, a human concept and idea and that men, women, uh, transgender, everyone has to embrace the concept of this idea that all of us are human. And from what I've been able to read up to this point, feminine principle leadership, a leadership model is best at being able to uh, talk about, you know, how the, the value of our humanity and even more so, it is a proven leadership model. The leadership model that basically brings people in and actualizes those resources, leverages the whole aspect of, of uh, community and shared responsibility. Those are the kinds of things. I, and since I teach on leadership, I mean, that's I'm a futurist. So my, my, my number one job is to, that what they ask me is, at least my clients ask me is, what kind of leadership model should we embrace going forward in this time? And I always, I come back and I say it's feminine principle leadership. They don't necessarily embrace it because they're, they're, they're vested in their male-based structure. And so, but they know the truth. They know that if, if my advocacy is for a better world, that's the first leadership model I'm going to, I'm going to speak on is feminine principle leadership. And so I, I speak on it only because of the fact that I, it is important to me personally, it's important to me professionally, and it's important to our future. Yeah. Well, and I also, um, I want to add just that, you know, you, you came in, no one event expresses the fullness of anyone's perspective or experiences. And we asked you to come in and to, to share this concept that you've been living out in the world. The Universal Basic Resources is a really impressive, innovative project. And it's part of a network and a fabric that's being built across the country with everybody doing their part. Um, and that's the only way we're gonna move forward, right? No one person, no one group, no one answer because the, the things we're dealing with are far too intricate and complex. Yes. And so each of us brings in what we have to offer and we learn from each other. I have learned so much from each of you um, in different ways. It's humbling, so, you know, and, and, and also expansive. So, um, and I, I would love to, I know, I don't know if there's another question you had, but uh, gentlemen, I, I shouldn't say that. I feel like there was an implication, but I shouldn't assume a human. Uh, no, he did imply that. Um, perhaps was talking about for you, Chet, as, as someone who comes into this from a, you know, a male presenting experience, how do you talk about this? How do you speak to other men um, in masculine spaces and advocate for these principles and ensure that, that these principles are being heard? Um, and when these ideas, because uh, he's, expe he's expressing that, you know, his experiences when these ideas are expressed in these circles and spaces, they're often disregarded or ridiculed as being soft. Um, <laughs> yes. And so like, what, what, how, as someone who's been holding that in some of these, I would say maybe hostile experiences, can you provide other, other folks that are, are living out that with yeah. some guidelines for how they could step in that way? Yes, yes. That's a great uh, perspective and, and point of view and question. I'll, I'll tell you this, where I am making headway is when I talk about efficiencies and effectiveness. 
Mm-hmm. When you go into those spaces, men kind of get that because men tend to lean into this left brain part. So when you start talking about, you know, you're losing money when you leave out this resource, uh, especially those who run companies, uh, you're not leveraging all of your resources. So you're ineffective in a very real way. You're creating a, a an ineffective organization because you're, you're not leveraging everything that's at your disposal. Um, you, you, those particular things though, efficiency and effectiveness, men can get there. Um, some men, because of, they've been in the toxic space for so long, they see anything that challenges that toxicity as kumbaya. So they'll just, they'll just write it off because it's just easier to write it off than to go and do the deep dive. So I, I, I start off with efficiency and effectiveness. And in fact, I was in, um, in the Sudan and uh, I, I'll make this real quick. I was in the Sudan and there was, um, I gave a presentation about why the, the government was, and this was in Khartoum, how the government was sidelining all of their women because it's not part of the Islamic faith and in, in, in the way that they were interpreting it in, in that particular city. And I said, You're, it's a waste of time and, and it's a waste of your resources and you're not becoming effective. You'll never be great because you're sidelining half of your resources. That makes no sense. So I come back, of course, to the States and I tell people that and they were like, oh, that is so, people were clutching their pearls and like, oh, that's so wrong. And that's terrible. Those, those countries do that. And I said, don't we do the exact same thing when we have systemic racism? We're sidelining all of our resources or this giant amount of resource speak simply because of the fact that we want to feel superior. That's nutty. It's the same thing. So talk to men about efficiencies and effectiveness, and then they'll get it. I, I believe. That's a great Uh-oh. way to frame it or to put it in the context that they'll understand, right? Yeah, that that's, that's kind of where men are right now is, is like productivity and how to get things done, that, that kind of, so you got to talk to them around that. It, are you wasting your money? Are you wasting your time? Are you wasting your resources? And you, if you can call them on that, then all of a sudden they get embarrassed and they start, then they have to kind of drill down on that. Like, oh, maybe I am, you know, even in your home, are you, are you being inefficient in your home simply because you're trying to do everything when that work could be divided and shared uh, all the way around? Well, we are at the magic hour, and um, I want to make sure, do you want to do one more question, or do we think we're ready to talk? I do want Alicia to uh, say, have the last word here. Um, hi, Celia, what do you think about any more? Uh, just thank you for coming. I agree, Alicia, should should be our close. Um, please, we'll definitely send you this information and uh, links. Please come to the harmonyvoices.org website. We're gonna be hosting an event on April 22nd uh, to celebrate Earth Day, uh, celebrating indigenous wisdom. We're very excited to be putting that together. Um, and we look forward to your participation in an ongoing conversation, whether it's in this event or somewhere else. Thank you. I want to thank all of you and, um, you know, Myrna for stepping in as MC, Aisla, you know, for the gift of your brain and your patience um, and putting all of this together for us. And Chet, thank you so very much.
you know, um, like I said earlier, there are so many people who said, well, why do you have a man speaking on feminine principle leadership? You know, we're not asking a female to speak about what does it mean to be a female? We're talking about the essence of the qualities that we carry and we need to carry forward and moving through a healthy environment for our world and our future. And um, I believe you, you uh, approach this in such a beautiful way, in a heartfelt way. And so I also wanna thank those who participated today because of the openness to this topic um, and, uh, and our presenter. Um, you know, it makes a big difference when we are open to listen. I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be a particular person to have an understanding of what it means to have certain experiences in life. You know, I cannot speak to what it means to be a black male in America. I certainly cannot speak to that, but I can speak on the injustices that we have towards people in this world you know, or certain groups in this world. Um, I have an understanding of what that means and the, cha the changes we have to implement in order to make for a healthier environment in this planet. So thank you all very much. I appreciate and love each and every one of you. Brooke, thank you so much for jumping in here as well. Um, yes. I hope, I hope, I hope we do see you on the 22nd. We are going to have a very long honoring of Mother Earth on that day. And uh, it will be a global event, um, a mix of artists of all types and people who are speaking on different issues about climate change. So please join us on that day. Um, yes, thank you friends and family. Thank you all of my relations. Yeah. Have a blessed and beautiful day. Thank you so much, Alicia, for everything you do. Thank, Thank you, you, my sister. I love you. I love you too, Chet. <laughs> all right, all. Be well. Enjoy. Thank you, Diane. All righty. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thank you.